Everyone is looking for purpose, for a life that matters, and we want to be a church that helps people find that. This is the Collective Church Podcast from a life-giving and vibrant new church right here in London, Ontario. Here's this past week's message from our pastor, Tyler Fromm. Well, good morning and welcome to Collective Church. My name is Tyler. I'm one of the lead pastors. I have the privilege of leading alongside of my wife, Lee, who you met earlier. We're glad that you're with us, whether you're uh, in the room or if you're engaging online. I want to highlight a couple of things before we dig in. The first is we've been in the series called The Way of Jesus for, there's 24 chapters of Luke, and we've been working through them chapter by chapter, and, and we're coming near to the end of Luke, and so in two weeks, which also happens to be Father's Day, we are starting a new series called Extraordinary, Embracing Ancient Wisdom in Proverbs. One of the things that, that we know to be true as Christians is that there are things that we learn about in 2022 that we're going This is so new and transformative. And then we read our Bible and realize thousands of years before, God has already shared that with us. And so there are lessons and wisdom in Proverbs that are tremendously helpful for us if we actually apply them. If we actually take what we can learn from God and apply it, applying this ancient wisdom can change our lives. And so we want to invite you to come out to the launch of that new series through the summer. The, the next is we have baptisms coming up in the summer. And we're nailing down this specific date. But here would be my encouragement. If you're in the room or you're online and you made the decision to follow Jesus maybe a long time ago or maybe recently, but you've never been baptized and you know that's the next step I need to take, we would love to be part of that. And we'd love to have you sign up through our Connect card and say, I want to get baptized. Baptism is an outward expression of inward transformation and change. We go under the water symbolizing death to our old self and we come out of the water clean and new. It's a big deal for us at Collective. When we do baptisms, it is a celebration. And one of the lies that we can believe, especially if we've been in the church for a while, is like, I need to get my life sorted out. I need to know all the right answers to all the significant questions. I need to, I just, I need to be ready. The problem is that the, the, the tension and the reality in the New Testament is, it was this, believe and then be baptized. And typically it was a really quick turnaround. There was this sense of, do you believe? Perfect, let's get you baptized, because that's significant. And so if the lie that you're believing is, like, maybe at some point I'll be ready. I don't know anyone that their idea of a good time is getting dunked underwater in front of strangers. And yet, as Christians, this is one of the most profound days of your life. So if you're even hesitating, don't. If you have questions, you can talk to someone at the next steps or find Lee and I after. But we'd love to get you baptized. And then also at the end of June, June 26th, we have a, a, we're going to do a barbecue as a church. And so just to the other side of the German-Canadian club, there's this green space and kind of a, a covered area. And so we're going to barbecue, spend some time together. It gives us a chance to connect after the service, to build some relationships, and to get to know, get to know each other better. Plus eating together, pretty awesome. I'm a big fan of food. If you ever are wondering what's the way to my heart, As Lee would tell you, it's food. And so, church barbecue, June 26th. 
Okay, so we're now nearing the end of this series, The Way of Jesus, and we're nearing the end of Luke. Luke is one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, written about the life, the, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. One of the four accounts, and we've been working through it chapter by chapter. And a lot is happening, especially near the end. And I want to look at a section in Luke 23 and then I want to help us to understand, okay, what got us here? What, what brought us to this point in the story? But let me read it. Luke 23, 32 to 43. And I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Luke 23, 32 to 43. It says, two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. That's Jesus. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched, and the leader scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he really is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him, too, by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And a sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God? Even when you've been sentenced to die, we deserve to die for our crimes. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray. God, I pray that in these moments that we spend together, that your voice would be the voice that we hear. God, I know each one of us has things from this week and all sorts of noise. Maybe you had a great week. Maybe you had a challenging week. Maybe even on the way here, we had an argument with our family, or there was tension, or there are things, or maybe there's anxiety that we feel about all the things that are going on. God, I pray that you would quiet those other voices, and just for a short moment, that your words, that your whisper would be louder, that you would speak clearly to each one of us, me included. God, I need you We need you. And we don't come to unpack this story of what your son Jesus did because we just want to to do another intellectual exercise. We come because it changes lives. God, we invite you to transform us. May this not just be an exchange of information. God, instead we invite you. Transform our hearts. Change our minds. Speak clearly to each one of us. Move us towards you. God, we need you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay, so I just read a section from Luke 23, and if you are here last week and then reading this week, you're like, wow, there's a lot that happened that we did not get a chance to hit. And so I I just want to give you a a little bit of uh, what got us here, what got us to this point. Okay, so Jesus was going about his life, and he was saying things like he was God and he was the Messiah that, that upset the religious powers of the time. They were not happy. And he was doing things that they didn't like in a way that they didn't like. 
And so they, they plotted and, and, and conspired to have him killed. And so they, they did it through the Roman law system, the legal system. And so he sat on trial, but it was a sham of a trial. And the Romans knew he wasn't even guilty, and yet through all of that, he is sentenced to death. All these things that happened and brought him to this point. Everyone knew he was innocent, and yet he was sentenced to death. And in Rome, they were, they were masters at how to take someone's life. How do you punish someone and make them feel every bit of ounce of pain? And then how do you enjoy as they breathe their last breaths? And, and one of the, the most horrific ways that they did it is by crucifying people on a cross. And so Jesus is sentenced to death and a cross. But we see here that it wasn't just him by himself on a hill where no one else is. There's two others. In verse 32, there's two others. And both of them were criminals. Both of them were guilty. And they were led out to be executed with Jesus. And when they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. So Jesus has just gone through a sham of a trial. He didn't do anything wrong. And yet, what is his response as they're nailing him to the cross? As they're condemning him to a death he does not deserve, what is his response? Verse 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. This is who Jesus is. This is what real love actually looks like, personified. This is not love that is communicated in words. This is communicated in action in a way that to us seems so beyond what is necessary. I mentioned last week that we as a church are not consumers. We are servant leaders. Well, this is our model. This is our master. He's nailed to a cross, and what is he doing in that moment? He's asking God to forgive the people that put him there. And I think this is so scandalous. And I think sometimes as a church, if we're not careful, if we grew up in the church or we're Christians and we've been around, we can forget how scandalous all of this is and go, yeah, that's what he did because we saw it on like little cardboard cutouts as kids. And we're like, he went on the cross, but then he came back, so it's all good. And they're like, think about this moment where he's up there, nails in his hands, nails in his feet, and he's looking at the people that did it and he's saying, God, forgive them. This is so countercultural. Think about even what's happening all around us in 2022. What happens if someone does you wrong? If someone does you wrong in 2022, what do you do? You pull out your phone and you're like, I'm going to video you. I'm going to get your picture and I'm going to post it to my friends and then we're going to trash you. I'm going to look you up and I'm going to make sure you know what you did was wrong. You slighted me. Or maybe we're a little bit more passive-aggressive. We're like, I'm going to find you online and I'm going to write a nasty review. I'm going to post something about you. I'm going to trash you. Like when someone does this wrong, and it, does, it could be something big or something small, our instinct as human beings is, I'm going to make it right. I'm going to get them back. But this is not the way of Jesus. This is not what Jesus models to us. Jesus was attacked and condemned, a sham of a trial. 
His enemies are around him, mocking him. And what does he do? He responds with uncommon grace and mercy. His enemies, quote-unquote enemies, are experiencing what from him? Love that does not make sense. And I think part of what he's doing is he's up on that cross and he's looking out and he's seeing people and he's not seeing them like the world sees them. He sees sons and daughters of God that are desperate for their heavenly father and just don't know it. He says, Father, forgive them for what they are doing. They they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what, what this means. They don't understand the part that they're playing. Forgive them. And even in this, we find the soldiers, and they're not paying attention to Jesus at all. Jesus is speaking. Jesus is, is part of a moment that will split all of history. They're face-to-face with the Savior of the world, and they completely miss it. And I think, isn't that us so often? We can be close to where God is at work or Jesus is working and miss it. Why? Because we're so focused on our own stuff. And our eyes are centered on what we have going on that we don't ever lift up and see what he is up to. We're fixated and focused. And this is the soldiers. They're fixated and they're focused. They're gambling. They're like throwing dice or who gets his clothes, who gets Jesus' clothes, which is just insulting because Jesus has been whipped. So it's not like his clothes are these, these treasured things. They're just basically doing everything that they can to remove his humanity from him, to remind him, we own you. You belong to us. We are the power here. This is what the soldiers are doing. And the crowd is growing. And it speaks to the sickness of humanity. We've all been where you see a car accident and it's like everyone slows down and people are watching. Like, I wonder what happened. As if they could do something. They're not doing it to help. They're like, what happened? I just need to know. Do you know those people? No, I just need to know what happened. There's something intrinsic in humanity. There's this sickness that it's like we see something horrible and we're like, I'm just, I'm curious and I just want to watch. And so in this time, it wasn't like that sickness was hidden. They would put people on crosses to die and people would gather around and go, oh, how long do you think he's going to last? Like think about how sick that is. How sick it is that the crowd kept growing as people are being condemned to death speaks to the sickness of humanity then and still today, watching people suffocating to death. That's what happens on the cross. You lift yourself up to take a breath, and after a while, you can't lift yourself up anymore, and you suffocate. And the crowd watched, and the leader scoffed. He saved others. Let him save himself, if he really is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him. By offering him a drink of sour wine, they called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. So here they are, they're scoffing at him, they're making fun of Jesus, but they're also using titles that are appropriate to Jesus. They know who he is, and they're using those titles in a way that that does not fit, but they're true. They say that, aren't you God's Messiah? Aren't you the chosen one? And they're trying to mock him. And they're mocking him by saying, if you're all of that, that means you have power. So save yourself. You have power, save yourself. This is one of the the human things that plagues us today, that 
power individually is meant to be used individually. I have power, save myself. I have power, so I'm going to do things for my benefit, for the good of me as an individual. I'm not concerned about others. This is not Jesus. Jesus has power and does not use it for himself as the individual. And a sign was fastened above him. And these words, this is the king of the Jews. This is a coronation. If we've ever seen it where someone is coronated maybe on a movie and this is when they become the king or the queen and we're going, wow, this is a a beautiful moment, especially if we've seen it on on movies where it's like this regal thing. There's all, this is Jesus' coronation as the king. He's wearing a crown of thorns. He's elevated up, crucified, ready to, to die. This is his coronation. This is the king, the king of the Jews. And I want to let you know that for those of us who would call ourselves Jesus followers, those of us that have surrendered our life, we follow this crucified king. At this moment that he should have been, that he should have been elevated, instead he's elevated in a way that does not make sense to us. And when Jesus died, even on that cross, wearing the crown, he is making a mockery of human power. Because they tried to kill him and they couldn't. They tried to rob his movement of momentum and, and still thousands of years later, millions of people have come to faith because of that moment and because of what followed. They used the worst thing they could think of, a cross, a symbol of death that then became a symbol of hope for millions of people later. He, he made a mockery of this human power they gambled for his stuff. They, they put him up, sentenced him to death, and they could not hold him down. And the cross becomes a symbol of salvation for all of us who are Jesus followers. And Jesus could have saved himself, but he didn't. Why? Jesus endured the cross because he knew it would save others. This is the way of Jesus. The king of the world hung on a cross to die, giving his life willingly for his friends and for his enemies. This is the way of Jesus. And and I want you to notice that there's something that's really special that's happening. Jesus is situated between two other criminals. Two other criminals, all three of them, sentenced to death. And there is a a beautiful picture of who Jesus is, even in this moment of his, his most significant agony. Jesus is positioned between one man who does not believe in him and one man who does. This is our king. This is my king, the one whose arms are outstretched to all, that are extended to the one who doesn't believe and extended to the one who does. And there are two criminals, and both of them deserve punishment. Both of them are guilty. Both of them did something wrong, and yet they have different heart postures completely. The way that one responds is very different than the other responds. The first one looks a whole lot like the other leaders and soldiers that are already around Jesus. And he says, one of the criminal hanging beside him scoffs. So, you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it 
by saving yourself and us too well, you're at it. Do it for you and also just for me. Do it for you and also for me, but he's not the only one. This is the one who does not believe, and then there's another one. The other criminal protested, don't you fear God? Even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Two men beside Jesus, one who scoffs at him and one who knows what he's done. He knows what he deserves. Like he knows that he's guilty. He knows that he should be up there. And he also understands that Jesus shouldn't be up there. That Jesus is innocent. And he simply acknowledges that Jesus is the Messiah and asks Jesus to remember him. And how does Jesus respond? Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. In this exchange of agony and horrific things that are happening, between moments of horror and agony, we see a profound reality. And, And I want you to know this, and I want you to hold on to this. For those of us that are Christians or aren't sure about Christianity or newer Christianity, your past does not define you. Your proximity to Jesus does. Your past does not define you. Your proximity to Jesus does. This is a significant truth we see in this story that changes lives. Your story is not defined by where you've been. Instead, your story is defined by where you are currently going. Not your past, it is your proximity to Jesus. See, this criminal was guilty and deserving of punishment and knew it, was very aware. And yet in a moment with Jesus, everything changed. And suddenly the current situation and all the things that had brought him to this place, putting him up on the cross, everything had changed. And this passage speaks to something that I want to spend a few moments talking about, a significant concept that's been applied to the mission of the church. And I don't normally use graphs or illustrations like this, but I'm going to, okay? We're going to keep this up. Uh, Eric, who leads production, was like, do you want a a laser pointer? And I was like, like, I do think that'd be fitting. And so there's two concepts here. We see bounded set and then centered set. Now, these are concepts that are used in, I think they originated in math, and they have been in some other social situations. But from a church perspective, there's some powerful illustrations here on what kind of church Jesus is building. Okay, I want you to think about the bounded set on the left-hand side. The bounded set kind of church is a church where it's clear there's a boundary of who's in and who's out. It's very clear. I know if I'm in how, because I'm on the other side of the thick line, I know that I'm out. So imagine you're in an environment where there's this high fence around you. Well, you know which side of the fence you're on. You know where you are. And in the context of church, it looks like a church that is very focused on on certain behaviors that determine whether you're in and out. In the past, it's been like this. It's been if you smoke, if you drink, um, if you play cards, if you watch movies that aren't G-rated, then you are out. If you wear... uh, if you wear pleated uh, khakis and a polo shirt and you have a Jesus sticker on your bumper, you're in. Like, we're good. 
Now, obviously, that's oversimplifying it, but there, there are things that you go, it becomes this list of rules, and the rules just kind of keep shifting and changing depending on the church. Like, I, I've been in a scenario, I was, we have friends in Alabama, and I was there the one time, and a lady comes up to me, and she's like, I need to apologize, which is like, I'm going, oh, no, what, what happened? And she's like, I saw you with your earrings and your tattoos, and I was like, is, does this man have darkness in him? And I was like, that's how you know you're in Alabama, right? Like there's, and she's like, I just, I need to apologize because as I was thinking that, I I heard God say, can't you see that he's one of mine? And she's like, I'm sorry. Well, in a bounded set church, that kind of stuff is a reality where it's like, well, what do you look like? Oh, you don't look like this? You're out. Been in certain places. There, There are churches that are, they're lovely people, but there's like this sense of in or out. Like, have you ever been to a church that has assigned seating? Like you go to sit in some, it's like, oh, that's Gladys's spot. You can't sit there. And you're like, no problem. I'll sit at the back. Like bounded set churches are, it's about certain behaviors that keep you in or out. And, and, and in some ways that that kind of way of doing churches is, is easier. It's kind of neat because you can just, you create a list you have some things that people need to get through, and then you go, now we're good. We know who's in or who's out. Hopefully I'm in. A centered set church is very different. A centered set church represents a church defined by its values, by its adherence to Scripture, but it's not defined by people's behaviors in response to that. The values guide, the Scripture focuses, and we know what matters. It's actually defined by which way people are moving. You see here, there's big arrows, and there's, there's, there's arrows that are moving towards the red dot in the center and moving away from the red dot. And in a centered set church, the red dot is Jesus. And so the thing that defines you, the thing that clarifies where you are, how you fit, is am I moving toward Jesus or am I moving away from him? So your past doesn't define you, your proximity to Jesus does. And the direction your life is going matters. This is the kind of church that we want to be. It's why we say we exist to make it all about people seeing Jesus. Because that's at our center. That's, that's the thing that is everything that we center ourselves toward. And we want to be people that are consistently moving towards Jesus. Because if you're in a bounded set, once you're in, I'm good. I'll just camp out here, enjoy the view of the fence, and that's it. But that's not what we want for people. We want you to move towards Jesus because what happens is, is as you move toward Jesus, you become more and more like him. You can't be in the orbit of Jesus and remain the same. And, and it's important for us to, to talk about even that, that concept because it's messy Because not everyone develops at the same speed. Like, not everyone has all the right answers and all the right things and does everything perfectly. That's the beauty of it. But are you moving toward Jesus? Or are you moving away? And what does it look like for us to be a community that's constantly spurring each other on to move closer and closer to Jesus? Being that kind of church means that there's things that we might disagree on, that there are times that because someone isn't maybe as committed as, 
as that we just go, there's some tension, but everyone is developing at their own pace and own speed. And, and the reminder for us is that as people are moving at their own pace, and sometimes in bursts, like it's like sprinting, and they're going close, and then they're kind of stuck for a bit, that sometimes if we're not careful, we can, as other Christians, act rashly. Because we're seeing development and then we get frustrated. We're going, I'm growing. How come they're not growing? I want them to grow. I'm irritated with them. And we can be like Peter and act rashly and chop people's ears off. Metaphorically. Metaphorically. Not really. But like we can be angry with people and go like, why aren't you? Don't you get it? And instead of going, what does it look like to be a community that's challenging and encouraging each other to move closer? It becomes this point of pride where like, I'm really close, and we just create this, the little fence, and we're like, I'm inside the fence, and we miss the point. Jesus built the kind of community early on that looked way more, way more like centered set than bounded set. Even when you look at his disciples, okay, Jesus had 12 disciples, 12 men that walked incredibly closely with him. And of those 12 men, there are two that are really interesting. One was a tax collector. Tax collector's job was to, he was a Jewish person in bed with the Roman power, and his job was basically to steal from Jewish people, okay? Not well-liked by Jewish people, right? As you can understand. On the other side, you have someone named Simon who's a zealot. You know what that is? A religious terrorist. His whole job as a Jewish person is to take down the Roman Empire. Should those two get along? No, Neither of those ones, it makes any, they're natural enemies, and yet they were united. Why? Because Jesus was at the center, and he was drawing them close. And on either side, Jesus gave an invitation, come close to me, come follow me, choose my way of life. In a centered set church, Jesus is at the very center of Everything and people are either moving towards him or away from him. And as they move towards him, they become more and more like him. This is apprenticeship to Jesus. This is what we've talked about this whole series apprenticeship to Jesus. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he did. The only way those things can happen is if we're moving toward him. We can't, we can't be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he did if we are moving away from him and treating him like he is second place. Because we go, I, I got my fire insurance. I'm good now. I don't need to do anything else. Instead, it's going, it's time to move closer and closer to him. I want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he did. And the beautiful thing in that is it reminds us that our past is not the thing that defines us. It's our present movement in response to Jesus. There's a quote by C.S. Lewis that I thought was really significant. And he said, the world does not consist of 100% Christians and 100% non-Christians. There are people, a great many of them, who are slowly ceasing to be Christians, but who still call themselves by that name. Some of them are clergymen. There are other people who are slowly becoming Christians, though they do not yet call themselves so. There are people who do not accept the full Christian doctrine about Christ, but, are who, so, but who are so strongly attracted by him that they are his in a much deeper sense than they themselves understand. If you've been in church for any length of time, you know there can be people that you're around that have been to church for a long period of time and don't look anything like Jesus. 
And not like, that's not like you somehow going, well, in ranking, I'm significantly better than them. You just look at them and you're like, I think you showed up at church. Have you listened to anything? Like, has this changed your life at all? And they're like, I'm a Christian. You're like, are you sure? Are are you sure? Because it just doesn't seem, you don't look anything like Jesus. I don't see any of that in your life. And then there are other people that, that are around that, aren't even yet sure they're ready to commit to even some of the labels, and yet they just keep getting drawn in closer and closer, and they do things like they actually read their Bibles, and they're like, okay, it says this, and I think I'm going to do it. And you go, that's how that works. And there are Christians that they're like, I don't have time to read my Bibles. I'm really busy. You go, too busy for God to be a priority? Let me know how that works for you. Not good. There are people that are being drawn. They're in the gravitational pull of Jesus and he's beckoning them in closer in the context of community. He's saying, I have more for you. And they're like, ah. And then we get to be part of that and we get to baptize them as a symbol of them moving closer to Jesus. And all of this, this bounded set versus centered set is why we celebrate the death of consumer and comfortable Christianity. Because consumer and comfortable Christianity does not require anything of you once you make the decision to follow Jesus. You just follow Jesus and then you're good. You get to just engage in everything by consuming it. Give, give, give me stuff, more stuff, more knowledge. I'm not going to read my own Bible, but you need to tell me stuff. And instead, the way of Jesus is going, yeah, follow him and then move closer to him and spend the rest of your life moving closer and closer to him. Become an apprentice to the way of Jesus. And I think this is why the illustration of the centered set is so significant. It removes the noise and it challenges us. You go, which way am I moving? Am I moving toward him or am I moving away? So, million dollar question. The million dollar question here is, which way are you moving? Toward Jesus or away from him? Which way are you moving? Are you moving toward him or away from him? It becomes simpler to diagnose in your own life. And I want to remind you, your past does not define you. Your past doesn't define you. Your proximity to Jesus does. And so maybe you look at your past and you go, I have done horrible hard things. I have made significant mistakes. How could he ever love me? I want to remind you, as he stood up there, arms outstretched between two criminals and the one who acknowledged, who confessed his sin, confessed that he had done something wrong, he said, there's salvation for you. Because your past is not the thing that defines you. Your proximity to Jesus does. Maybe you're in the room and you've been following Jesus, but honestly, uh, it's been on the back burner. And I think that there can be this illusion that Jesus stays at the center and we just kind of park it. But the truth is, if you're not moving forward, generally you're moving backwards. Maybe you look at your life and go, if I'm being really honest, I'm not close. And I'm not where I want to be. And I haven't treated him like this treasure who gave his life for me. Today is a great day to make a change. There's this biblical concept of repentance, and and what it means is you're going in one direction, and you stop, 
and you make a decision. I'm not going there anymore. I'm not going in the direction that I was going, and you turn around and you move in a different direction. That's repentance. Maybe today is an opportunity for repentance, for you to go, I have not been living in the way that I know I'm supposed to live. I've not been following Jesus in the way that I know that he's invited me to live. Uh, my life, I don't, I, don't, I don't like what I see spiritually. It's not what it used to be or what it could be. This is a great moment to repent and turn and go back to Jesus, back to the center to fix your eyes yet again on him. And if that's you, we don't want to just say, hey, best of luck with that. We want to pray for you. In fact, when the worship team comes up and prays and then after the service, so before and after, we're going to have the prayer team that's up at the front. And if you're going, that's me, I need someone to pray for me, the prayer team would love to pray with you and for you. For all of us, whether you are not a Christian and haven't ever made that decision or you are, I just, I want to highlight and I want to fix our eyes yet again on Jesus. If we could just see him, arms outstretched, beckoning us closer, saying, I did this for you. And I did this for your enemies. And I did this for your friends. And I did this so that you would know the depth of which your heavenly Father loves you and wants to restore you. If you just saw that, wouldn't your life change? And as Christians, if we look back at that, we're reminded this is who God is. This is who Jesus is. So when we exist to make it all about people seeing Jesus, that's what we exist for. He's at the center. He is the object of our focus and our attention. And our past does not define us. Our proximity to Jesus does. So my invitation would be, take some time and actually honestly reflect. Where am I at? What do I look like? When I look at my life, am I, am I, do I feel like I'm moving towards him or do I feel like I'm moving backwards? Am I, am I creating rhythms? In my, have I talked about talking about talking about doing something or am I doing it? Like when the rubber meets the road, am I moving towards Jesus? Maybe you're in the room or maybe you're online and you've never made the decision to follow Jesus and you go, I don't have all the answers, I don't know everything, but I know I want to give my life to Jesus. We want to walk with you. And we want to encourage you. If that's you, fill out a connect card. You can, you can use your card that's on your seat or you can, you can go to the website and do it or you can come up to someone and talk to them. Let us know. We want to walk with you together. Maybe for some of you, you go, moving toward Jesus means I need to get baptized and I'm nervous and I'm afraid, but that's the next step. We want to encourage you and challenge you and walk with you toward that next step. For those of us that would call ourselves followers of the way of Jesus, those of us that would say, I'm a Christian, but I'm not just a Christian in name only. I've, I've surrendered my life. I'm a disciple. I'm an apprentice. I've follow, I'm following the way of Jesus. There's a little moment I, I want to point to where we see Jesus and people are scoffing at him for who he says that he is. And the question for us even is, how am I going to respond to the people that scoff at me for what I think, for what I believe. You're going to follow Jesus' example of mercy, compassion, and grace in the face of your enemies because you've seen what he's done for you and for others, that it doesn't matter what other people say about what you're doing. 
You want to follow the way of Jesus, come what may. You're willing to do anything that he asks you to do. And so when someone scoffs at you and goes, I can't believe you do that. I can't believe you sacrifice like that. I can't believe you live like that. I can't believe Jesus is the most important thing in your life. You get to look at them as sons and daughters that don't yet know their heavenly father and how much he loves them. I want to pray for us, and then I want us to respond in worship. God, thank you for the good news that our past does not define us, but instead our proximity to your son Jesus does. God, help us to be people that actually move towards you. God, strip away all the excuses, all the reasons that we give to to give you our second best or to, to not do what you're asking us to do. God, We don't want to just be people that know about you. We want to know you. We want to be moving towards you. And we want people around us to see what that means. God, help us to be people that love our enemies, even when it's difficult. Help us to be people that exist so that others can see your son, Jesus. God, wherever we are, challenge us, confront us, and encourage us forward. God, we need you of every single moment, of every single day. God, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like more information on Collective Church, find us on social media at This Is Collective Church or reach us on our website, collectivechurch.ca. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you Sunday.